0: Welcome to Mindfully Healing, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Micheline Malouf, a trauma-informed and trained therapist. And
1: I'm Nadia Desi, a registered social worker and psychotherapist. We are here to guide you through the connection between your mind and body to help you develop a deeper understanding of yourself.
0: Join us on each episode as we navigate each topic by posing questions to our mind and then having deep conversations with each other, ourselves, and special guests to help us come full circle and answer each question. This season, we discuss trauma, trauma responses, attachment, and relationships. In each episode, we provide you with resources and tools to begin to heal your inner child, set boundaries, and help you along your journey of healing. Dear Mind, why do I struggle with motivation and what does dopamine have to do with it? Welcome back to Mindfully Healing. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi. And today we have a very
1: special guest who is going to speak to us all about dopamine, motivation, and neuroscience. And his name is Naz. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, everyone. Hi, Nadia. Hi, I'm Micheline. Um, my name is Naz, and I'm doing my PhD in brain health, neuroscience, Alzheimer's disease. And my backgrounds in genetics and psychology and and also neuroscience. And yeah, today I'm, I'm here to talk about motivation uh, with in relation to dopamine. Dopamine is a very, very key neurotransmitter implicated in effort, pleasure seeking, reward, and particularly um, something that people can um, I don't want to say that you don't the word hack, but really like understand in order to improve their their life and well being.
0: Awesome. And how did you get interested in, in neuroscience and getting into this field?
2: It's a great question. So uh, I've always said as a sort of child, teenage, teenage, teenager, I was uh, going to go one of three areas. So I was super curious. And I said, I'm either going to study oceans, I'm going to study the brain, or I'm going to study space. I was like, okay, oceans is really cool. But the issue with oceans, like you might have to go away for a long time and not see your family and so on. That's okay. Maybe not, that's not for me then I said, okay, space, space is amazing. But the, the thing with space is like the sort of progress you make tends to be so small and you don't actually like get to like um, uh, reap the rewards or or, or make a difference um, as much as you should. And then I said, okay, the brain is sort of very interesting. Everyone has a brain, everyone's interested in, in the brain. So I went down the kind of neuroscience uh, brain health path. Curiosity is, is something that I really triggered my interest in this in in these in this field or in this particular field and um and i'm i'm sure we share so many similarities we have so many questions and we want to so sort of answer them and answer them together and try to investigate uh, why we have these questions and and so on so
1: so the big topic of our conversation today and we had a lot of people write in about motivation and dopamine and ADHD and some tips and tricks to help can you start off by giving us an understanding of how motivation and dopamine might be connected or even just defining the two?
2: Yeah, no, so I think it's very important for people to understand that. So dopamine is this uh, chemical or hormone um, that's released in certain structures of the brain, um, often in the midbrain. So we're talk, talk, talking about the middle segment of the brain or some in the deep structures of the brain. Of the brain. And it's important in motivation. It's important in effort it's important in movement. That's one thing that uh, a lot of people don't understand is they tend to merge dopamine with simply with pleasure, but it plays an important role in uh, supporting movement in Parkinson's disease, for example. Um, So it has multiple functions, but particularly dopamine has gathered a lot of interest because of its role in in effort and motivation. And the general trend that seems to be is people that have a dysregulated dopamine system or low dopamine levels tend to be the ones that suffer a lot from motivation and and seeking goals and, and, and pursuit of, of objectives and, and achievements in life.
0: You mentioned Parkinson's disease. I guess I'm curious, I know this isn't necessarily our topic, but how is dopamine and Parkinson's connected when you talk about dopamine and movement?
2: Yeah, so basically you have certain neurons, they're called dopaminergic neurons, and then their, their particular function is sport movement. And uh, there's a particular set of structures uh, at the base of the brain called the basal basal ganglia, and these structures are are support every movement that we perform. Um, and there's evidence that death to those neurons. So if, if those neurons um, die over time, either through a traumatic um, experience, through acute injury, for instance, or through just aging, you tend to have people that have that suffer like motor movement, and that's something that you can like actually. Uh, assessing in in, in a study, you invite participants into a lab and those with Parkinson's disease, for example, you'll see that there's uh, a reduction of striatal neurons, um, striatal and also um, basal ganglia based neurons um, in these individuals.
1: You mentioned that a lot of psychological conditions are impacted by dopamine, like dopamine plays a big role is there anything specific people can look for or like are there certain symptoms that people can look out for or pay attention to?
2: Yeah so I think uh, when we think about dopamine we think uh, often in terms of addiction and the reason why is because um, through the mechanisms how dopamine behaves in terms of its ups and its down, we can sort of, sort of understand why some people uh, develop Uh, sort of a narrowing in their interests over time and and perhaps engaging in some addictive like behaviors. There's evidence that, for example, some people with addicts, addicts in in substance use and and so on, they tend to have like a different um, sensitivity to dopamine or the receptors in the brain for dopamine are different. So, um, but without taking it to the extreme addict um, scenario, you can also think about People that have lost the pleasure in things they used to enjoy, and often you can explain that through dopamine. This uh, anhedonia, sort of like lack of pleasure, loss of loss of enjoyment in things. Okay. I mean, we can we can break it down to a very simple example because we all all live in this. It's a, a you know the first time you get you, you get a new phone or you get a new car. It's extremely exciting, and obviously that dopamine release is high. But over time, especially as you become over. Uh, stimulated with that with the item uh, you start losing the pleasure uh, associated with it
0: Mm -hmm. so that's normal for for everyone really we all kind of have that excitement moment and then it kind of comes back down i guess is there um, are there people that naturally have more of a dopamine deficiency with you know psychological disorders like adhd or depress depression and what is a dopamine deficiency like why Mm -hmm. is it So
2: the way to think about it is we all kind of have a baseline in dopamine. So um, some of it is genetically inherited. Um, In other cases, it's based on your previous experiences. So uh, on a day-to-day basis, you're walking around and your dopamine is sort of at, at its baseline. And whenever you do something that, for example, you really, really enjoy or that brings you pleasure, Um, you're going to get like a spike or a peak in dopamine and that peak in dopamine is going to be followed by a drop below baseline and that drop below baseline is now your craving and that's why you you tend to often for example if suddenly I think about a kinder bueno I'm Mm. going to get a little peak in dopamine and then then I know I'm not going to get that kinder bueno instantly so then I'm going to get a drop below baseline so that that craving will kind of push me towards action and I'll be like, okay, it's it's actually like you actually experience pain during a drop below baseline. So it's like you wanna like um deal with that pain and combat that pain. So you actually go for action. So um the way to think about it is this every we all have a baseline and any activity that constantly ups your baseline above a certain threshold will reduce your baseline over time. So you'll start from a lower point of point uh, or direction. And then will also make it harder to get the peaks for you to achieve the pleasures. I'm um, sure we'll talk a lot about this uh, in, in a lot more details, but the general, I think the general message for people to understand is you don't want to over, over stimulate uh, things that bring you pleasure because you'll make it harder to experience pleasure again.
0: Wow. And I could see how the connection with addiction there, right? It's like you never get that first high again. So you're, you're constantly chasing that. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah, your baseline and- decreases. That makes so much sense. I've never heard it explained that way. So would you say that we like how would we prevent decreasing our baseline? How do we avoid wanting that pleasure or that dopamine hit?
2: Mm-hmm. So I think um, and I always say this to a lot of people, is first of all, you need to get the fundamentals right. I think most things um can be overcome also most issues that we have in terms of our general health not talking about specific conditions but can be overcome uh through getting the fundamentals right i'm talking about sleep particularly is very important um hydration um sunshine um sort of like the the basics like the core of everything exercise obviously exercise is perhaps one of the the biggest ones once you get those fundamentals right you can start exploring um, why for why for example somebody has a lower baseline uh, than they expect um, they expected compared to the past for instance or um, or just generally they see this narrowing in, in the things they bring bring them pleasure um, it's important to also mention that aging is is a key in terms of the dopamine system so the older you get the the poorer or the lower your do- dopamine levels and the functioning of your dopamine levels so as you get older if you realize that you know, the way you used to enjoy activities or or the way you used to experience pleasure is not the same as 20 years ago. There is a component of aging that's very important. But I think particularly once you've got the fundamentals right that we spoke about, what's very, very important is for people to make sure not to overly stimulate themselves with things that bring them instant pleasure. And I know this is extremely difficult because Compared to even 15 years ago, uh, you can grab your phone and Deliveroo could be outside your house within minutes. Uh, You have access to, um, you know, especially for for men, like pornography is is really there online. Everything becomes accessible within seconds. And it's very difficult not to get overstimulated. And for people to become aware of those stuff and and implement some changes uh, will make a huge difference in, in terms of regulating that dopamine system.
0: Wow. You know what I find interesting, and this might lead to a question is, you know, as society progresses and we have more and more instant gratification in our society, social media, Amazon delivers right away within two hours, you know, everything you want can be at your fingertips right now. And we also hear a lot of people saying that there's more ADHD now, or more people are getting diagnosed with ADHD now than ever before. So sometimes I have the question of, Are people getting diagnosed with ADHD and these dopamine deficiency disorders more because we're talking about it more and people are seeking out those diagnoses more? Or is it because our society is shifting and we're bringing down our baseline just because of the way we live?
2: That's a great question. And I think it's important to distinguish ADHD, dopamine-induced ADHD, because I feel like the terminology is still, we're not there yet in terms of like defining it properly. Um, I think in the future, especially for ADHD, it'll be very precise. The language you use will be something like um, striatal dopamine reduction ADHD, or Julie has uh, um, basal ganglia specific um ADHD, or, or whatever the structure, it'll be very precise, or it'll be a reduction in. The number of receptors in um a certain structure of of this pleasure system or, or perhaps a substantial nigra for instance these are all brain areas where each person might have a different sort of clinical clinical and biological profile at the moment we're kind of putting everyone together and i think um that's um i guess problematic because it doesn't really reflect the the disease or, or the condition perhaps um, a better word um i think To be totally honest with you, I think um, it's a mixture of both, to answer your question. Half of it is definitely um, just more more awareness in terms of uh, ADHD, a better understanding of the research, a more uh, welcoming, open society about mental conditions, you're naturally going to spot more of those. But I think it's also because instant gratification is just within our fingertips, I feel like um, Social media itself I mean if you if you think about um, an example would be TikTok it's designed to grab your attention within uh, a certain certain time frame or, or a certain order of videos. Um, from my understanding um, it, it's the algorithm studies uh, the videos you interact with the most and within so so perhaps within the first five videos, you might not get something that uh, brings you sort of the pleasure pleasure from before based on your previous history using it. And then suddenly you'll get that video that, that matches what you're looking for. And then you get that little dopamine release. N- nothing enough to satisfy you, just enough to keep you engaged. And then it's a cycle that repeats. How can that not dysregulate your dopamine system? And how that how could that not translate to other areas of right. your life? It's
1: so based on, based on your baseline example, is that lowering our baseline?
2: Over time, this will uh, lower your baseline. but also increase the number uh, of steps. So you'll have to stack more and more things in order to get to to more pleasure. I think a perfect example of this actually is the number of like double screening or triple screening people do. Before we could sit and watch the TV and just be like, yeah, is the TV great. But now like I'm on my phone, my friend's there. And every time I'm like, perhaps the music's in the background, there's always like you're adding more and more layers and um, adding uh, variables to get the same amount of pleasure you used to because the peak is so hard to get the gap between the baseline the peak is so high now so that's a problem
0: I've definitely seen that happen within myself like prior to TikTok I would be able to sit down and watch a movie all the way through now I really struggle to get through an hour and a half if a movie's two hours I will not choose it and yeah. I, I still struggle with an hour and a half I prefer shows because they keep switching but even then I do the double screening like I have to check my phone and and I've noticed when I first started TikTok I would be so excited so happy it gave me lots of joy and I was so excited and so motivated and creative and as time got like went on I started to feel like eh, I could give you know like I have to scroll through 100 videos before I find one that catches my attention or I just am not as creative anymore because I don't get that same reward that I used to get in the past
2: no I mean it's, it's like I said it's a problem that we all have to different extents and I think it's um it's something that we can actually uh fix through awareness through top-down control which is a, a word in neuroscience used to bring awareness to your body and through your actions don't let your body dictate your mind and and, and just go through your, through your day in an idle fashion, instead bring awareness to the present. I think one of the biggest issues we have through this new rise of of, uh, um, social media, this isn't social media specific, but dopamine dysregulation, is you tend to get the days and the weeks and months are going so much faster because you never get to slow down and enjoy the moment because you're constantly seeking that next pleasurable experience. And I think that's that's something people need to be aware of, yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's a whole like we can go into capitalism there and toxic productivity <laughs> and how we need to get more into mindfulness. But this is so interesting to me. Honestly, it's nothing I learned in school and I'm just relating it to myself. That's why I'm kind of in awe and feel like I it's hard to contribute much because I obviously don't know. Um, is there a way to use dopamine to our advantage? I know we're gonna talk a lot about motivation. Is there anything we can do to help ourselves?
2: Mm. So good question. I think like Uh, one thing you could do is use your body's natural sort of clock uh, in order to like maximize productivity, but also like use dopamine to to your advantage. Um, Going back to sleep, one of the fundamentals that I mentioned, um, one of the issues with um, particularly artificial light at night is it affects your sleep. But if you get quality sleep every single night, um, you're going to wake up naturally with high dopamine levels in your body. And dopamine is higher... The high, at its highest in the morning. And that's a perfect opportunity for people to complete the hardest part of their day or the most boring and less pleasurable thing of their day has to be done in the morning because you have the natural drive. You have different hormones that are like particularly potent in the morning. You have dopamine for motivation, adrenaline for energy. You have cortisol that keeps you alert and, and sort of ready for action. um So I think ma- taking advantage of your body clock, particularly waking up with a, first of all, having a good sleep schedule, but waking up in the morning and tackling complicated things in the morning, you can definitely, uh, something that most people can implement to their advantages.
0: Mm-hmm. Does dopamine deficiency lead to difficulty sleeping? And if I- so, what would you say to somebody like when we're saying get up in the morning, your dopamine's highest that had mm-hmm. trouble sleeping all night and now you know they can't get up in the morning Mm -hmm.
2: that's a great question uh again um i think i'm not sure if that's actually been done but i wouldn't be surprised if that there's a bi-directional relationship there i think all of these relationships are really complex and to sort of um, produce a linear direct direction through which these uh, mechanisms happen is difficult but i would say for sure but for someone who's struggling to sleep and make making sure that they they don't have Uh, that sort of crash in the morning um, is to regulate your exposure to sunlight Um, there's there's been experiments where they've looked at people who have different exposure to sunlight throughout the year and they also scan them uh, through specific neuroimaging techniques to look at the dopamine levels in, in different structures of the brain and they found that the highest those with the highest exposure to sunlight tended to have more dopamine receptors in certain structures so more sort of Uh, functioning dopamine system and sleep I think sleep and sunlight go hand in hand and add add artificial light to that too Um, I feel like with this instant pleasure or gratification that we have now we are being less productive throughout the day and we're feeling more guilty so at night we're using our phones or or we're trying to work till late and through that you're affecting your sleep and sleep is very very sensitive to light Uh, our whole circadian rhythm relies on us going to bed within a specific time window and obviously if you're waking up uh, later than than usual or you're going to bed later than usual uh, you're not going to get that same um, dopamine peak in the morning um as as you would if you slept properly
1: i know like we're talking about morning routines does caffeine play any role in this
2: yeah so i think caffeine is um to increase the number of receptors, uh, dopamine receptors. So just to explain what what that means is it just increases the functioning of dopamine in the brain. Uh, You either increase sensitivity of of the receptors, you can increase the number of receptors, but ultimately what what this means is dopamine tends to be higher, it tends to be more more active. Um, So caffeine tends to increase um, dopamine receptors in in certain structures of the brain, and the general uh, Protocol people tend to advise for caffeine is to not have it straight away in the morning uh, because when you wake up you naturally have adrenaline dopamine that tends to be high and you're alert you don't need an extra boost but as soon as you're experiencing that kind of crash maybe an hour and a half after you wake up that's the best time to use caffeine to your advantage.
0: An hour and a half after you wake up.
2: Yeah, so everyone's sort of uh, crash will be at a different time, but the best thing to do is um, is just l- listen to your body. As soon as you'll see that you're crushing, uh, maybe it might be an hour for someone, it might be an hour and a half for someone else. This is the time to like use caffeine to your advantage.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, so it- the morning routine we have is have a good night's sleep, wake up, expose yourself to sunlight, wait about an hour and a half, listen to your body, have caffeine if that's something you enjoy, and then mm-hmm. go on with your day.
2: Go on with your day and definitely like within that first kind of... Um, Uh, part of your day try to complete the the hardest or less pleasurable task on your to-do list because that's when your your body is is ready to to uh, for action Uh, if you leave if you leave the analytical work or the really complex work that you have uh, before bed um, that's when uh, you have an opposite system the serotonin system tends to be higher you have adenosine which is a um, a molecule for sleep tends to be higher, so uh, you're not gonna be as productive for those difficult tasks. But really like some people tend to prefer doing a hard workout as soon as they wake up. Some mm. people tend to prefer their analytical work. Um, the, the best thing to do is you're your own experiment, you're your own researcher, you're the you're, you're the, you're part, the participants within your life. So just experiment with these things and see what what best works for you.
0: Mm. Amazing question about productivity and all of this let's talk about procrastination for a minute Mm -hmm. so what can you tell us about dopamine and procrastination
2: Mm -hmm. i think um procrastination goes quite closely hand in hand with um this inability or this struggle with pushing um pushing reward for 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 you know constantly pushing reward later and later and um, I think going back to what I was saying, this like procrastination is inevitable for most people because of how, you know, we are overly, overly stimulated by so many, so many things. Um, I think one particular approach people can take whenever you have that kind of crash in dopamine I spoke about, often after you do something either you're not supposed to do or something that brings you loads of p- pleasure. Um, one particular approach people can can take is to do something actually harder than what they were supposed to do so you kind of have to have some some form of discipline or some sort of um, willingness to accept that you've done what you had to do now it's time to make up for that for that thing and I actually saw a very interesting approach to this if we sort of put into practice it'd be something like I'm working on my desk and then suddenly I realize that okay I'm not being productive. The way I'm supposed to be. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put another chair um, next to next to me. And if I'm not gonna be productive, I'm only allowed to sit on that chair without my phone. I just have to sit and then be bored. And and then until I'm ready to accept that, okay, that other option is terrible and I don't want to do that. So then I come back and and get back to work. I've seen I've seen someone talk about this. So it's a it's it's very interesting and it makes a lot of sense because. It puts you in a in a state where you have to it's almost like meditate meditative you actually have to accept that okay well you know i'm not being productive and this other alternative is not actually as fun so and i'm going to come back and 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 be working the other thing i'd say also is um Going back to those fundamentals, obviously, make sure you're alert. That's very important. And a lot of people talk about cold showers nowadays, but cold showers tend to like increase adrenaline in the body. So it's an easy way to, to get started for going to work um, or, or, or to tackle complicated tasks. So for people that are okay with exposing themselves with, to, to cold water, that's going to get you like pretty alert and ready for action. So that's something you can implement. Uh, for
0: sure i think the
2: other thing i'd say also is most people don't really have a good working structure or schedule Uh, people tend to uh, not be organized in terms of their work so they they will just sit down and just work randomly Um, they'll just sit at their desk and then suddenly tackle work when you need to understand that your attentional attention system requires perhaps 10 to 15 minutes to adjust so instead of rushing into like complicated work you know first Get ready, set your laptop for work, open that document, don't jump in straight into analytical work, you know? Another thing that tends to work is uh, narrowing your visual field, uh, making sure that the scope outside of your vision isn't too distracting. Mm. Um, Try to have as as little, so when I'm looking directly at my my laptop, I wanna have as as little things on the side or, or, or object distracting me. Like something that can help is like a hoodie, I tend to wear a hoodie sometimes and it sort of narrows my, per- my vision and um, th- it removes all distractions in the periphery. That's something people can implement too. Th-
1: this is like an episode we've never really had before. So I think these actionable tips are so important and like things I've never heard, like narrowing your vision is something I've never heard to help. And as someone with ADHD, I'm already thinking in my head, like how I'm going to do this and how challenging it is. Something big we say as therapists is like, motivation will never come first it's the action that has to come first and then the motivation will follow do you have any suggestions or tips on like how we can implement these things should we just be changing our routines all at once should we do it like one new thing every day until we get into the habit of it like how do we get to this place that you're speaking about
2: Mm -hmm. I think I would start with um whatever the cost getting those fundamentals right I think that comes before anything else and particularly sleep but from there, like I think, like it's worth adding something every seven days, for instance, because then you get the the chance to experiment and see what works best. If you compound everything at once, one thing that you're doing is you're potentially dopamine stacking, which we spoke about, where you're adding loads of loads of novel- novelty into your life very quickly. But instead, um, building it up, starting uh, with one particular particular actionable steps um, after those fundamentals. And I think a lot of things, another thing that's really, really important and people don't talk about is we have a culture where people are like, you know, doing so well all the time on social media, showing sort of their best life at at all times. But the reality is like, people want to read books, but have you started reading five pages before you start reading a book? You want to do an hour and a half of work. Why don't you start with like doing 15 minutes of work or half an hour of work? I think it's very important especially for people that tend to find it difficult to focus just like start small set uh, what i really like to do particularly for meditation i think something something that meditation is amazing most people should implement it and it doesn't have to be all strange and uh, mystical like uh, the way way you imagine but all you can do is pretty much sit somewhere uh, sit or lay down get comfortable uh, put a timer on your phone, put your phone away and and set a two minute timer and say, for two minutes, I'm just going to sit down and whatever happens, I'm just going to stay here. And then tomorrow, increase it to three minutes. So it's very important for people to understand. It's like, it's okay that you're not going to achieve exactly what you want straight away, but why don't we build it up like like they do in the gym where they progressively overload you? We can do the same thing with our brains.
0: Exactly. I really love that because it's something that we talk about even in therapy when you're trying to reduce anxiety and you're trying to uh, reduce avoidance, it's like we're going to expose you, but we have to do this gradually you can't just do it all at once right so it's the same thing it's just. opposite you're adding things a little bit more and one of the tools I found recently I mean I've had heard about it for such a long time but I never implemented it until recently it was the Pomodoro method to studying and getting work done and it's basically uh where you have like little chunks of like study time mine mine as 25 minutes study time and then it's like or, or work time, and then a five minute break. And it repeats four times before you take a longer break, which is another 25 minutes. And that worked. I feel like that kind of like rewarded me because you feel like it's not that long. I can do this. So I love that you mentioned the the little bits of time um, for, for studying or, any, or meditation, because I think also a lot of people think that meditation is like what you said, mystical, sitting down and being like, oh, and, and it's not, you know, meditation, can just be sitting down and just fully engaging in what's happening in front of you, like with nature or with your body or just being still and noticing the thoughts that come up. It doesn't have to be this huge like um, thing. And I guess the question for meditation is, is there, has it been shown that meditating more often or doing more of these mindful activities can lead to um, increased dopamine production by your brain? Mm.
2: Um I I haven't seen the experiment been done and I think like that's an experiment, a very interesting experiment. I I definitely think uh, you guys should leave it because uh, it's a very novel and it's a good uh, hypothesis, but I would say um, I would say that's a very strong hypothesis to make based on the data we've seen um, because dopamine dysregulation or, or dysregulated dopamine system is from constantly being exposed to overstimulating environments and constant stacking of pleasurable activities so it appears inevitable that if you take moments where you get out of this reflexive state where your body is constantly seeking certain things but instead bring bring awareness and, and engage into um, top down where you actually like bringing awareness to what you're doing and, and acknowledging that certain behaviors are perhaps getting too much and out of control um, it's i think it's a it's a very viable uh, project and approach i would say also for people to, to understand is like your brain is actually super receptive to change uh, i think for a long time people thought okay this is the brain that i have in my in my 30s and i say i'm stuck i can't make the changes that i want but there's plenty of evidence that even adults can actually rewire their brain. That's the term that we use. The brain is plastic to change, malleable, um, for it to be adjusted. So if you start building certain habits or, or doing certain activities, you do it across a few days, your brain's already gonna start changing in terms of its structure. And it's actually gonna say, you know what? Like, this is now part of me. I'm no longer having to adjust. This is gonna bring more awareness and, and, and perform that behavior m- more often so um
0: so it's definitely in something that, in a few days you can already start seeing the changes the changes happen constantly they happen uh they happen passively
2: in children even in adulthood there's some evidence that, that um uh, changes can happen passively although that's more difficult but the thing is people so one thing that i'm not a big fan of is people talking about oh a habit takes two days or 200 days or uh, it varies it could take however long it just depends on on um on your um personality on uh, your background your the way your brain is wired and so on um so i would say within within days you can actually make some noticeable changes in your behavior and your brain will adapt and um and that's something people need to use to be encouraged to say that you know what whatever brain that I have, i've I've uh, developed at this stage or um, I've, I've wired through my behaviors and actions or I've, been, I've inherited, that brain can be changed and altered through my, my behaviors.
1: I love that. Even just hearing like a couple of days, I feel like that got me excited. Cause I was like, okay, we can actually put these into planning. Maybe, yeah. You. Yeah. I like that you mentioned children and that I was kind of trying to get into that direction because I because I can already picture my sisters listening to this episode and being like, How do I help my kids? They have like four kids under seven. And I was just wondering if you had any suggestions. I mean, they've limited ipad time recently and it's made a huge difference with their productivity and their attention span but is there anything else parents could do because we do have a big community of parents who listen to this podcast
2: yeah no, that totally and um, the parents need to know that their children are very lucky because they're at a the stage where the brain is so plastic and malleable and that's a good thing but also that could be a bad thing in the sense that any sort of harmful experience can have a negative impact on the on the long term but looking at it positively I feel like it's very important to get children into exercise as much as possible Uh, exercise is one of the biggest dictator of neuroplasticity Um, it improves um, obviously the child's psychology mental health on top of that it helps the child develop uh, skills in, in motor movement that are key it's um good for in terms of reduction uh, reducing uh, maintaining uh blood pressure being controlled uh, you know body fat so on so you have the general like health benefits um but the other thing that i think that people don't really talk about is just play and i think it's such an important thing and that applies to adults too but i'm, I'm not sure what you guys think but i feel like children are having to grow up quicker and quicker nowadays it's like within i don't know uh, what you guys think but when i was a 14 year old i was a 14 year old you know and nowadays um i feel like everyone wants to be a grown up and it's it's once again inevitable with like social media and these big things that are like presented at your face but having a culture of play within your household is so important and even um adults should be should be play, playing whatever play looks like for you like it could be a different thing for for someone else uh, for example for me um me and my dad for example we just like like to wrestle for fun that's that's play for us somebody else play could could just be like let's play video games or let's run and, and play tag in the on the beach like anything is for you for you guys like it needs to be a culture that that's embedded into um, into the family early on, and really, really push that kind of mentality. Play in, induces neuroplasticity, healthy neuroplasticity uh, in the in the brain, and particularly kind of like low low cost play, like play that isn't like you know, there's no outcome at the end of it, and it shouldn't be an outcome. It is play. But I feel like nowadays everyone wants to win or achieve things. But why don't we just play for fun, and it doesn't matter who wins at the end?
0: Yeah, I I love. I love this so much because we have a whole episode on inner child work and, you know, how people can begin to heal like their childhood trauma. And one of the tips is always like play, do the things that you never got to do as a child. Like I tell some clients to go to Walmart and pick up a toy they wanted as a child that they didn't have and to just like play with it. And I think we've gotten to a a place in our culture. And I think capitalism has a lot to do with it where if you're not productive, you are feeling like you're not doing enough. And I think, you know, you mentioned when you were a child, you used to play a lot more. Same here. I remember being out on the streets and like running around until dinnertime. But I also think that things have changed nowadays to where moms, dads, you know, everyone in the family is working and responsible for bringing income in. And we also have a lot more awareness about the dangers that are happening out in society. So we see a lot less kids playing outside um and so when they play they're playing with these video games which you're mentioning can reduce uh or watching tv or playing on the ipad which can reduce the threshold um for for dopamine so um if if we don't have like i guess if we don't have the safety for the children to play outside or um the family doesn't have the quote-unquote time to play with their kids what suggestions, like what what can they encourage their kids to do, or they don't have finances to like put them in sports or something like that? What what other options, like what are some really simple things that people overlook, I guess you could say, that mm-hmm. would help a child that doesn't have access to all this stuff?
2: Mm-hmm. No, that's a great question. And I'd say, um, going back to your initial point, um, I guess one thing with video games particularly, they tend to be actually um, quite good for a child. They tend to improve reaction time, uh, improve uh, cognitive function, and so on. There's, there's a lot of experiments that I've shown that um, I think if the game is appropriate for the age age group or, or, or so, it's a not a terrible thing for, for, for the parents to introduce. I would say, however, like it becomes a problem when it prevents the child from sleeping or it prevents the child from working. But if you set specific uh, times and you say, okay, like you have half an hour per day to play this video game, I think that's uh, that's fine. That's not going to bring um, any problems for sure. You actually, especially a lot of the games are moving so fast now and the reaction time, the brain development that happens is, is fine. I would say um, I would try to maximise whatever opportunities the schools offer, like there are clubs and um, exercise, uh, you know, sports clubs and so on, as much of those if, if possible. Um, if, if those are available, that's great. Um, I would say uh, the other thing is like especially if you have siblings or if there's the opportunity for siblings um having or, or friends for instance having like um them play together that's very important and that doesn't have to be through either video games It could even be like just playing card games or playing um chess particularly chess is like a great exercise uh, uh, for children so these kind of activities that are low cost easy to access um they're definitely great even like if you have a, uh, a lone child, like a single um, child by himself, just having a board and um, playing with them intermittently, they'll see, you'll see soon that they'll develop their own interest in playing and they'll perhaps play against themselves. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a game that can be played on both sides. So trying to bring sort of the, as many activities that are like um, easily accessible, not necessarily dependent on a screen, maximizing whatever opportunities uh, there's available at at school and also taking the time as much as possible i know people um, uh, live really busy lives but but taking the time to just spend even an hour playing a a game that you don't want to play but for the sake of the child that's going to do huge uh, huge huge benefits for for them
1: that's great honestly so many good tips for people even as i'm listening i like how a lot of the tips for children can also apply to us like go home and play a card game, or <laughs> like I'll learn chess. I love that. We actually had one really good question. I think it came into Michelin socials that I was wondering if you could answer. And the question is: Is it possible to heal chronic dopamine deficiency?
2: So first of all, it's uh, a little bit difficult to define chronic uh, chronic uh, dopamine deficiency. Um, in many cases, if if the this cause or, or this representation of dopamine is, is chronic. It, it depends on the location of, of the brain. And it might end up, let's say, leading to Parkinson's disease in some cases, because we're talking about like a like a, a purely sort of uh, something that's been inherited, let's say. But if we're talking about like um dopamine sort of deficiency that's um emerge from overstimulation, that's definitely something that can that can be overcome. And um things like this i mean one thing that i always say to people when they ask me often i get questions like oh i've drunk a lot of alcohol in my teenage years or i've um taken a lot of marijuana uh, what are the effects on my on my brain and i say i always say to them like it depends when and it depends on the dose and i say like for example with those cases like the teenage years particularly are very important and you want to prevent and going back to the parents you want to make sure that your kid um, sleeps really well and is not engaging in, in those kind of substance abuse as much as possible because they're the ones that tend to have long-lasting effects but for most things as long as it didn't happen during teenage years for instance or, or sort of overtaking teenagers it's definitely possible to um, re- re-regulate your dopamine system and going back to those fundamentals the sleep sunlight um going to exercise exercise is one of the most sort of people say it's uh, rated but i think it's still underrated and whenever you look at uh, research and you look at interventions whatever the condition even alzheimer's disease there was a big study done looked at 50 different interventions for um for the treatment of alzheimer's disease potential treatments through genetics and exercise came first like and and people don't people still don't realize that exercise doesn't need to be exercise that you do vigorously in the gym it could just literally be you going for a walk every single day and obviously as you increase sort of the amount of exercise you do the, the more benefits you get so getting those fundamentals right and preventing overstimulation through taking um the way I'd approach it is, is um taking different approaches to behavior so for instance if let's say going to the gym is something that you do over and over again and It doesn't give you the same amount of pleasure as it used to. Why don't you go to a different gym? Why don't you wear a different outfit? One day, wear your headphones to the gym. One day, don't wear your headphones. One day, go with a friend. Don't do the same set of behaviors over and over again because it's inevitable that those
0: things won't bring you pleasure anymore. So there's something to buying new outfits to go to the gym. It's not just me then, because I'm always <laughs> like, I need, to, I can't go to the gym. I have to go buy new clothes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah no, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, we got another question actually from Instagram, and it says, "I need melatonin to sleep, but I heard it can decrease dopamine. But I'm already so unmotivated. Is that true? And if so, what can I do?"
2: From my understanding, is um, there's evidence of, of uh, melatonin reducing dopamine in, in animals. Uh, in their particular, like uh, animal studies, um, they, they found that link. I'm not sure if they've done the same experiments in, in humans, but um, I guess it's a plausible link. I would say um, melatonin is a little bit of a problem. Um, it can be a really useful aid in certain scenarios, for example, for parents that have Children with perhaps uh, intellectual disability, for instance, um, and they they struggle with sleep. That, that makes a lot of sense for melatonin to be used. But for a functioning adult, um, something to be aware of is as me- most melatonin that's um, either prescribed or, or bought doesn't actually have the melatonin uh, amount that you actually uh, that's actually written. So you're either getting little or more. In most cases, little um the other thing also on top of that is there's evidence that the melatonin that you supplement can actually affect your endogenous melatonin meaning that the melatonin your body naturally produces so i would say like as a general rule like it's it's worth avoiding melatonin unless you know you have a specific you know you have an exam coming up or you, you know you haven't slept for multiple days and, and you need to sleep but as a for most people ask yourself am i doing the fundamentals right? Am I sleeping, exercising, going outside when I wake up, you know? And from there, you'll see that your most sleep deficits uh, will disappear. The other thing also, that's a suppressant of sleep and especially sleep quality. And I think that's another conversation is people love to talk about amount of sleep. But we need to distinguish between hours of sleep and quality of sleep. And people never talk about quality of sleep. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's all great. Uh, you you slept eight hours, but was your sleep really terrible? Was your REM sleep terrible? Did you get sufficient deep sleep? Yeah. Uh, particularly deep sleep is is super important for recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It cleans the brain from debris and 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 uh, misfolded protein and, and toxic toxic and harmful material. So it's like people like often tend to drink really late, tend to or even eat really late or. Uh, smoke weed for instance and they say okay well i'm sleeping super well but the reality is your sleep quality is probably poorer
0: yeah so the the quality is more important than the quantity i'm wondering how do we know that we're getting good quality sleep and not just like thinking we're getting good quality sleep waking up feeling
2: energized that's a big thing Uh, am i feeling this um energized level regularly that that's another important thing and another marker of this is like how regular is my sleep cycle am i like going to bed at uh, 10 p.m and then waking up at 5 a.m one day and then 7 a.m another day and that's another marker of of sleep quality so one of the biggest things that people can be can do for their health and i know it's extremely difficult and and it's okay if you don't get this right all the time because we all have social obligations or we want to do fun things late at night but for most of your life you want to aim for um, a consistent bedtime as possible and the best thing you could do is make sure that that sleep cycle is within and i know it's difficult for shift workers by the way and that's there's other things that they can do uh, shift workers and mom but you want to make sure that your sleep is within um consistent and within a a specific time window so Every single night, you want to be aiming for a consistent bedtime, uh, 10 to 11. We're not going past 11. I'm going to be in bed between 10, 10 to 11 every single night. So that's a, a a very, I think I think attainable for most of the time for people, um, except for parents and, and shift workers that are a little bit harder.
0: Another question that we got in um, from Instagram is, what are the long-term dopamine-like effects of using psychostimulants?
2: Mm. Uh, it's an interesting question and um, the general thing you get with psychostimulants if we talk about um cocaine for instance uh what you tend to find is the dysregulation of the dopamine system uh dysregulation of the noradrenaline system which is a or no nor- epinephrine which is a different system that that's important for uh for attention energy and, and and for this particular um structure it's important to say that all of these neurotransmitters are tightly regulated so it's like um from uh dopamine noradrenaline is created so all the system is connected and it's important for people to understand but what you tend to find is um with cocaine use you tend to suppress the natural sort of uh production of of dopamine or or sort of uh, functioning of dopamine um i think there was one one particular study that found that over time that self-administration of uh, cocaine will result in less and less um, release of, of dopamine. So you p- particularly dysregulate the system and eventually it may potentially lead to like an um, anhedonia and, and lack of pleasure and so on. So it's it could be a problem, yeah.
0: Is it the same for people with ADHD that need or that have been prescribed dopamine through like Adderall or any of the other medications? Is that the same result in the long-term?
2: So I think... Um, in those particular cases, I think it's best to probably speak to your doctor, and because they'll have a better understanding of of um, your condition and uh, sort of what you need. But generally, with those particular medication, you tend to increase uh, the dopamine levels. I just still feel like ADHD is so poorly understood, and it's it's one of the the minefields of of neuroscience and psychiatry um, still to this phase and to this to this day. So it's something. Um, that that will we our research and understanding were developed for a long time people thought noradrenaline and that's it and that's that's what's uh explaining um adhd and now they're talking about uh dopamine specific mm-hmm. i feel like it's likely to be a, a multiple areas uh working together i think ultimately the the aim as, as i mentioned earlier is to really get precise and get like to that personalized medicine approach rather than like giving everyone sort of the same Uh, treatment that is where it is at the moment.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, you know, what you described earlier, which is eventually we're going to know where the deficiency is, and then maybe medication will match that deficiency. So you're not, you know, over medicating or giving the wrong type of medication. One thing that I did find interesting that my psychiatrist said to me when she prescribed ADHD meds, because one of my biggest uh, setbacks was I've never taken medication in my life. I'm afraid of it. I am 37 years old. Like why start now? And she said to me, she's like, you know, ADHD responds to medication 80% of the time and it's the most under prescribed disorder. So we, we still have a large stigma associated with medicating for ADHD when 80% of people will see a resolution in symptoms, whereas we, medicate so many people with anxiety and depression and only 40% of those people respond wow. to medication so that's very interesting and um
2: it's, it's a complicated matter and we have to get quite precise um ultimately to, to treat most people but as as a general rule I feel like and, and that's the thing that people still are, are trying to wrap their head around are we talking about is ADHD something that's inherited as most evidence suggests of a genetic risk are we talking about one that's induced through overstimulation um including uh this uh, instant gratification constant chase for for that dopamine pleasure i think like that's something that's uh, worth thinking about in the future
0: probably both too right like it has mm-hmm. to be right like I wanna... yeah
2: i think what's really interesting is and and the way i approach a lot of conditions not particularly adhd but Let's let's give the example of um, of schizophrenia, for instance. Um, what well, you tend to get, and, and the analogy that I tend to give to people when they ask me is: imagine you're standing on a cliff, and your genetic risk tells you how close you are to the edge. And everyone's going to be at different different positions. Some people are going to be really close to the edge. Some people are going to be further. But in most cases, unless we're talking about a monogenic condition like Huntington's disease, in most cases you'll be required to be pushed in order to fall and catch, get the condition. And I'd say uh, lifestyle and obviously trauma being part of that is, is what's going to push you to the edge. Wow,
0: that is great. Honestly, in
1: my mind, from that analogy came like resilience and risk factors when we talk about the ACEs study. That's, that's a great analogy. Of, Beautiful. But pushes you almost to get to that point. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love
0: that. Thank you for that. Thank you for um, for, for coming on and, and being willing to chat with us about this. Is there anything else you want to uh, leave our listeners with that we didn't ask or you think is important? Um, I guess the last
2: thing I'd say is uh, just understand that your brain is plastic to change. And through the decisions that you make, you can pretty much, in most cases, change your brain, mold it the way you want so that your behaviors your habits can become easier over the long term
0: love that and we want people to follow you and find you and connect with you so can you let them know how they can follow along what you post and all the interesting stuff you share
2: yeah so on instagram that's the place i'm most active so it's nas nasneuro, n-a-s-n-e-u-r-o and uh, for people that are using facebook um nas neuro on facebook.
0: Perfect. We will link them in the show notes below. So you guys will have easy access to find his page. Um, So definitely such a such great information. I enjoyed so much chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. you
2: Great discussion. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so
1: much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family and remember to leave us a
0: review. We love reading your comments. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to along with your thoughts and share it to your story and tag us so we can reshare it to our story. And be sure to follow us on social media at mind.fully.healing on Instagram, at mindfully.healing on YouTube and on TikTok at mindfully.healing. Until next time.